Thanks for tuning in to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Eric Roges, Executive Pastor here at Rolling Hills. We are so glad that you've joined us today for the second week of our series, The One. Today you'll hear from Pastor Jason teach from Ruth 2 and what falling in love looks like from a biblical perspective. Now, here's Pastor Jason. A concept that you and I don't often like to talk about a lot, but it is something that is certainly at play uh, very frequently throughout the course of our day and our week, and it's this whole idea of risk. You and I live in a rather risk-averse society, don't we? Let's just be real. I sometimes think that, you know, the only thing that I haven't done with my children is just bubble wrap them to protect them from every possible thing that could happen in their life. It's evidenced by all the safety features that we have in place. I think about our risk-averse society with the insurance plans that are available to us. I mean, you can basically insure yourself against everything these day and ages, or go to Lowe's and buy a product. It doesn't matter how expensive the product is anymore. You can take out an extended warranty on these items. Why? Because we live in a risk-averse society where we want to try to mitigate every possible risk and to protect ourselves from every possible risk that may happen. In fact, sometimes with my actions, I will run through every possible scenario of what might happen and then and only then after I have made up a contingency plan for everything that may or may not happen, then I will act. I realize that there's some of you in the room that are planners and you're taking a big deep breath because I am taking your breath away from you right now. You're saying, where is he going with this sermon today? And then there's another group of you in the room that are a lot more risky, and you're thinking to yourself, yeah, where's he going with this sermon today? We've needed a little bit more of this, but my intention in no way, shape, or form today is to take our time and say that you should be cavalier with your life, that you should just throw planning out the window, never think about the consequences of your actions. That's not at all what I'm here to do today, but what I am here to do is to hopefully point you to some core truth that is 100% backed up by Scripture, and that is that things that are worth doing are always going to have some risk associated with them. Things that are worth doing are always going to have a certain level of risk associated with them. Now, I could take this message in a hundred different directions. I could talk about the call to follow Jesus when Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow me. In essence, when I say, Jesus, wherever you say to go, I will go, that's a risky statement to make. Or I could say, today's sermon is going to be about trusting God with all of my resources and all of my time, meaning that I'm going to trust God with the one thing that I have a finite amount of. That's a risky endeavor. Or how about in this season right now where we tell you to choose faith over fear? It's risky to choose faith. It feels riskier to look at the things that I cannot see and to trust that God has a plan in the midst of all of those. But today's message is not about any of those things per se. But rather, it's through this filter of this series that, we're, that we started last week called The One. We're talking about the power of relationships, and we're talking about the beauty of connection, and the beauty of being in community, and the beauty of friendships, and dating, and marriage, and co-worker relationships, all of the relationships that I find myself in right now. And specifically, I'm going to ask us today to open our hearts and to open our minds to what it means to grow in God-honoring relationships. And if I want to grow in God-honoring relationships, I'm going to pull back the curtain for you a little bit and just go and let the proverbial cat out of the bag. If you want to grow in God-honoring relationships, you're going to have to be willing to take some risks. And you're going to have to be willing to put yourself out there. And you're going to have to be willing to be known. And you're going to have to be willing to have some transparency, and to allow other people to see that you're not perfect. 
and to trust that God will use those connections to build and to shape and to grow in you who he desires for you to be. And so if you have a Bible with you this morning, I'm going to encourage you to open to Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3 is going to be our primary text for this message today. And Ruth is this incredible book of the Bible. It's four chapters, and it's one of the two books of the Bible that's named after uh, a woman. It's an extremely important book of the Bible, not only because it gives us some great insight into relationships, but the book of Ruth is so significant because it helps establish the lineage of Jesus. And the lineage of the Messiah is very clearly mapped out for us here in the book of Ruth. And so in the essence of time, I cannot unpack for you everything that I would want to unpack for you. So some of you are old enough to remember this, so I'm going to give you the Cliff's Notes version of the book of Ruth. Some of you guys are laughing because you used those, and And um, there is no shame here. I use them very frequently as myself. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's this little guide that would help you understand a much bigger book. And so the Cliff's Notes version of the book of Ruth sounds a little bit like this. There's this Israelite family. There's a husband named Elimelech, and there's his wife, Naomi. And they have these two sons, Malon and Kilion, and they live in Bethlehem. And there's a famine in Bethlehem, so they flee Bethlehem. And they go to the city of Moab. They go to this place called Moab. It was a foreign land. God did not instruct them to go to Moab. They took it upon themselves to do that. And shortly after arriving in Moab, Elimelech dies. And so now a family of four has gone down to a family of three. And these two sons, Malon and Kilion, marry Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other named Ruth. And so they live for about 10 years in Moab, and then Malon and Kilion also die after about 10 years. And so now the family of five has gone down to a family of three. And it's three single women, three widowed women, Naomi and her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. And so Naomi says to these two daughters-in-law, you guys need to go live your life. You go live your life. And after some convincing, Orpah decided to go and live her life. Ruth, however, says, no, I'm going to stay with you. And in fact, it's recorded in the first two chapters of the book of Ruth, where Ruth actually says to her, wherever you go, I will go, and your people will be my people. And so Naomi says, well, I'm headed back to Bethlehem, back to my homeland, and so Ruth travels back with her. And again, Ruth is a Moabite, Naomi is an Israelite, and they need provision. And so Ruth, upon arriving back in Bethlehem, goes to the threshing floor of this man named Boaz. And a threshing floor was a place where wheat was prepared for consumption to be able to use it to make things. And so she's trying to glean whatever leftover wheat she can to provide for her and Naomi, and she meets Boaz. And Boaz begins to provide for her. And that's the backstory for Ruth chapter 3, that Boaz is seeking to meet some of these needs in the life of Ruth and Naomi. And so that's where we pick up in Ruth chapter 3, verse 1. If you want to follow along with us, you're going to see these words up here on the screen as well. So one day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you, where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. And tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. And then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, note the place where he is lying, and then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. And when Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. And Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. And he turned, and there was a woman laying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family." 
The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger women, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. And although it is true I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. And when she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. And then he went back to town. And when Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? And then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. And then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Now, it's really easy for me to read this story and to read this part of the narrative and just see the facts and the locations and the names of all of the people and the occurrences as to what are happening. And I can look at this as somewhat random. But the reality is God is in the midst of all of these details. This is not a random story. God is in the midst of the big details and the small details. What does that mean for you? And what does that mean for your relationships? It means that God is in the midst of all the details. God is in the midst of the really significant things and what you might look at as the very insignificant things. And I realize that in the room today that we have a, a myriad of different relationships. And you, some of you are married and have children. God's in the midst of those details. Some of you are grandparents. God is in the midst of those details. Some of you are married and have not been able to have children. God is in the midst of those details. Some of you are dating. God is in the midst of those details. Some of you are single. God is in the midst of those details. Some of you are single again, and you never expected that to be this part of your story. God is in the midst of all of those details. I say all of that so that we can hone in on this truth, this big picture, the sovereignty of God. God is the one who is writing your story. God is the author of your story. Past, present, and future, God is the one who is working in the midst of all of it. And I'm also aware that some of our stories may not be playing out like we envisioned that they would play out. Some of us are at places in life that we would have never imagined. Some of us are not at places of life that we would have imagined we would have been at by now. And wherever you would put a pin on that spectrum, my question is, can you trust him in each and every one of those seasons? Because sometimes we get angry or we get frustrated about where we are. And when we do so, what we're saying to God who has authored our story is that we know better than you as to what would be better for me. And if I adopt that principle and if I allow that to soak into my mind, then that will be a barrier for me to grow in my relationship with him, and it will certainly be a barrier in me growing in my relationships with others. Now, does that mean that I should just sit back and do nothing? Absolutely not. You're going to see that unfold here in just a second. But when you go back to the text, do you think that Naomi and Ruth would have written their story this way? Do you think this is the way that they would have put pen to paper and said, this is what I want my life to look like? Do you think that Naomi would have wanted to lose her husband and then to lose her two sons, and then to have, you know, now the responsibility of this person, Ruth, who she's tried to send out on her own way, but says, no, I'm going with you forever back to Bethlehem. Not death will even separate us, but see, in the midst of all of it, God is working. And from a relational perspective, there's a handful of truths in Ruth chapter 3 
that I hope that you'll be able to hone in on because they are so relevant. They're so relevant for whatever type of relationship you are in or whatever type of relationship that you will be in someday. And these are some details that God doesn't want us to miss. And the first of which is you see it there on the screen and you see it on your worship guide is that healthy relationships are marked by a high level of initiative and they are nourished with God-honoring things. Healthy relationships are marked by a high level of initiative, and they are nourished with God-honoring things. Now, I grew up in the 80s and 90s, and 90s country music was my favorite genre of country music. I think it is still to this day my favorite genre of country music. And there was one of my favorite artists who was named John Michael Montgomery. And John Michael Montgomery was from Kentucky. I grew up in Kentucky, so I had a heart connection to the music of John Michael Montgomery. And John Michael Montgomery had a song that was called Life's a Dance. And because I do not want to clear the room today, I am not going to sing it for you. I am, however, going to recite verse 1 to you by memory from Life's a Dance. It started like this. I was 14. I was falling fast for a blue-eyed girl in my homeroom class. Trying to get the courage to ask her out was like trying to get oil from a water spout. What she'd have said, I can't say. I never did ask, and she moved away. But I learned something from my blue-eyed girl. Sink or swim, you got to give it a whirl. Now, the words of John Michael Montgomery were leading me into my seventh grade year because I was 14, and I was falling fast for a blue-eyed girl in my homeroom class. This story is literally being lived out by me, and I thought, John Michael Montgomery says, go for it. He says, go for it. Sink or swim, you got to give it a whirl. So I marched into my seventh grade classroom, and I said, the words of John Michael Montgomery say life's a dance. You learn as you go. So I think that we should, you know, be a thing. What do you think? Do you want to go out? Um, What John Michael Montgomery did not prepare me for is that sometimes when you take initiative, people do not respond well to said initiative. And she said, thanks, but no thanks. Now, that worked out okay because that wasn't my wife. But so the story ended up working out um, okay in the long run. But I don't want you to miss this truth. Healthy relationships are marked by initiative. Go back to chapter 3, verse 1. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you'll be well provided for. And now Boaz, with whose women you have worked as a relative of ours tonight, he'll be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, note the place where he is lying. And then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. See, relationships are formed, and relationships grow because you're willing to put yourself out there. For Ruth, this was a very risky endeavor. She goes onto the threshing floor at night. It, was been, it would have been very common for her to be mistaken for a prostitute. And Naomi tells her to uncover Boaz's feet, and ultimately she says to Boaz to spread a corner of his garment over her. Now, I really don't enjoy preaching messages that need parental warning stickers on them, but do a little bit of research about this later. This is a pretty romantically charged series of events here. We are explicitly told what happened, and we are explicitly told what didn't happen. So I don't want to speculate. I don't want you to speculate. Let's don't miss the bigger point here, because the bigger point is that healthy relationships need initiative. Marriages need initiative. Dating relationships need initiative. Friendships need initiative. Good relationships with coworkers have to have initiative. And when I think of relationships, I think what a lot of us tend to do, though, is 
We tend to kind of just sit back and wait because sitting back and waiting is safer. Whereas the riskier thing to do is to try to engage in community with other people. Some of us just kind of sit at home by ourselves and we don't show up to things or we don't engage in things or we don't join a community group because nothing's really going to be asked of me if I stay to myself. You're not going to really get to know me and I'm not really going to have to be known in this relationship if I just live a life of isolation. Some of you may word it a different way and say, you've got to have some skin in the game and you've got to be willing to put forth some initiative. Some of you might be in a marriage right now and that marriage is not nourished with godly things. Maybe there's no initiative or maybe there's not any nourishment with the things of the Lord and the reality is that lack of spiritual nourishment is going to affect the overall health of your relationship. So my question is, what are you going to do about that? Because see, you and I were meant for relationships, weren't we? We were meant to be in relationships. If there's something that I have learned in COVID-19, it is that I need people. I need people. I do not like looking at your faces through a screen. I need to see you. We need one another. COVID-19 has made it more challenging. We have had to be a little more creative in the way that we go about do things, doing things, but you cannot go through life alone. You were not meant to live in isolation. John A. Shedd said it very, very well, and I quote, a ship in harbor is safe, but that is not what ships are built for. None of you go buy a boat so that you can keep it tied to the dock. You buy a boat because you want to get it out on the water. See, you and I weren't meant to just live in isolation. That's not how we were built. We were built to be in community with one another and to be in relationships with one another. So Ruth takes some initiative. Look at verse 7. So when Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. And Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. And he turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. The kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Now, did Ruth take some initiative? Yes. But look at what's really going on beneath the surface with Ruth. Verse 11 is a beautiful verse because, see, Ruth is a person of noble character. Ruth is a Proverbs 31 character. This is who the writer of Proverbs is referring to, uh, the, the type of person that Ruth is. Because, see, what Ruth was doing is she wasn't trying to build a relationship with someone so that she could get something out of it. She wasn't trying to build a relationship with someone because they had money and she wanted to be with them. She wasn't engaging in a relationship with someone because of what they looked like. Her motivation for coming to the threshing floor was pure. Her desire for a relationship was very pure. The yearning for connection was pure. It wasn't selfish. It wasn't self-seeking, but rather it was based on character. And you see this here in your notes, but character will always carry a relationship further. Character will always carry a relationship further. Look at Proverbs chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. What the writer of Proverbs is saying is that the integrity the integrity of a person will always guide you further. The character that you seek to espouse will always guide you further. 
Not, not so much, though, for unfaithful people. Unfaithful people will be destroyed by their double-minded thinking. What is double-minded thinking? Double-minded thinking is me saying one thing and doing something else. Double-minded thinking is me as a Christ follower saying, I know that I need to wait on a God-honoring relationship, but I'm really lonely, so I'm going to settle for somebody that is not God's best for me. It's double-minded thinking. And double-minded thinking, according to Scripture, is a recipe for disaster. See, Ruth was known by her character, but so was Boaz. See, Boaz was already providing for her, and in this moment, character is driving his decisions as well. I believe that one of the best decisions, one of the best action steps that you can take right now to grow healthier in all of your relationships, no matter what type of relationship it is, is to work on your character. Ask God right now to create in you a pure heart, to create in you a clean heart. Ask him to take away any of that selfish thinking. Ask him to take away the pride. Maybe there's some shame for past mistakes, and Jesus has already forgiven you for those things, but you allow that shame to just be held onto you like a very heavy yoke. Ask Jesus to take that away and to come and be Lord of everything in your life, and it's one of the most significant steps that you can take. I was talking to a good friend of mine a couple of weeks ago, um, and he doesn't live here in Nolansville, lives out of state, and, and we were sharing, and he was telling me a lot about some of the struggles that were going on in his job, lots of challenges. He was having lots of personal struggles, lots of professional struggles. And then he started to tell me that his marriage wasn't going well. And I love this guy. And so I was just kind of listening to him and listening to his heart. And after hearing about how bad everyone else was, and about after hearing how messed up everybody else was, I asked him in a very gracious way, so how are you doing personally? And this is a guy who loves the Lord and is a faithful servant of the Lord. And I asked him, are you praying right now? And he said, no, I'm really not. And I said, are you spending time in God's word? And he said, no, I'm really not. And then I said, and I want to ask you another question. And I said, this is very personal, and so you don't have to answer it if you don't want to. I said, but are you engaging with pornography? And he said, yes, I am. And it was something that had been an issue in the past, and it had resurfaced. Now, I do want to go on record here and say that I don't make it a habit to go that strong in most conversations, okay? So some of you may have a coffee date on the, appointment, on the, on the books with me later on this month. Don't cancel on me. I'm not going to come out that, you know, that forthright, okay, and that forthcoming. But in the context of this relationship and our friendship, it made sense for me to just ask the question. And I simply said to my friend, don't be surprised when your relationship with God is not growing if you're not feeding it. And don't be surprised if your marriage is on the rocks when you are intentionally bringing things into it that are going to cause division and they're going to cause frustration. In a relationship, it's really easy for us to pin everything and every reason that something isn't working on someone else. But what Jesus said to the Pharisees is, be sure that there's not a plank in your own eye before you point out the speck in someone else's eye. See, character will carry a relationship further. Now, what else will carry a relationship further? The people that you surround yourself with. You see it here in your notes. Surround yourself with people you should be listening to. This is the most simple point of all day. Surround yourself with people that you should be listening to. I hope and pray that in your life you have a broad spectrum of people. You should have people in your life that have been walking with Jesus at a more mature level than you have. You should have people that are walking with Jesus kind of in a peer relationship. You should have people that are new to faith in your life. And you should also have people that are yet to have a profession of faith in Jesus Christ in your life. You need that broad spectrum of people. But when it comes to relationship advice, y'all, 
listen to the right people. Listen to the right people. Now, what's riskier, listening to the right people or finding somebody that will tell you what you want to hear? It's a lot riskier to take wise counsel than it is to just find somebody that will tell me what I want to hear. Because if you have a mobile device, you can find somebody that will tell you what you want to hear. You can actually find published articles that will perpetuate whatever story you need to be told. They don't even have to be true. Just be sure and be wise that you're building people into your life, a team of people into your life that will have your best interests at heart and that will tell you something that you need to hear, even if it is hard to hear. Now, this relationship between Ruth and Naomi was really special. Look at verses 5 and 6. Ruth says to Naomi, I will do whatever you say. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. But let's don't skim over Naomi here, because Naomi is living and, and, and breathing and helping Ruth in ways that sometimes completely get overshadowed, because see, Naomi was a widow, and I never really thought about this until I had uh, spent some additional time preparing for this week. But Naomi is getting up in years, and to be honest, she has it pretty good at this moment in time, because what has Ruth already told her? Ruth has already told her, death is not going to separate us. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. Your people are going to be my people. Ruth is the one who's out on the threshing floor gleaning the wheat, and she's bringing it back to Naomi. Naomi could have just kicked back and lived out her days on Easy Street. I mean, because Ruth is out doing all this work, but what does Naomi say to Ruth? Naomi says to Ruth, I want something more for you. She was able to give Ruth counsel and advice that actually made it harder for Naomi in the long run. We need those kind of people in our life. We need those kind of people that will speak truth, that will point us in the right direction, even if it's not an easy direction that they are sending us. And I would encourage you to pray for those types of people right now. Pray that God would bring some people into your life that will love you enough to tell you the truth and to point you to the immeasurably more life that is found in Jesus Christ. People that will put you first above themselves. See, those are the types of people that we need to be listening to when it comes to relationships. Because what do those types of people tell us? Those types of people tell us something that is a relational key. It is a relational key, and you see it here on the screens. It's not about me is a relational key. <laughs> the key to good relationships, this is the Rolling Hills alliterative tongue twister for the week of September 20th. It's not about me is a relational key. You show me a healthy relationship, whether it is a marriage, whether it is a dating relationship, whether it is a friendship, whatever the case might be, whoever that might be, you show me a healthy relationship, and I would, um, I would think it's safe to say that in that relationship, there's likely various parties that have operated under this principle of saying, you know what, it's really not about me. On the flip side, you show me an unhealthy relationship, and you are probably showing me a relationship that if one, if not two of the parties in that relationship are tending to live very selfishly and making it all about them, looking out for their own interest opposed to the interest of another. We just finished this incredible series on the book of Philippians. And you guys might remember this in Philippians chapter 2, where Paul says that in all of your relationships, your attitude should be that of Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage, but he made himself nothing. He took on the very nature of a servant and became obedient even to the point of death. And 
Paul says, in all of those relationships, seek to have the attitude of Christ Jesus because he made himself nothing. He humbled himself to death on a cross. And if you don't know him, if you don't haven't experienced what it means to be in that relationship with him, I pray that today would be the day. Because see, that is who has set the agenda for us. It is his model that we seek to follow. Go back to verse 12. And so after all this has happened, Boaz says back to Ruth, although it is true that I'm the guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. So stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to do this duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until the morning. Now, this concept of guardian redeemer is a little bit uh, difficult for us to understand in Western 21st century kind of thinking. Because a guardian redeemer was the, a close, the closest family member. So it's the closest family member of Ruth's father-in-law that has now seeking to take responsibility for this situation. And it was a choice that had to be made by the guardian redeemer. It was a willful choice that they would make to say, I'm going to meet the needs of this other family member. It was also a risk because it was going to impact the way of life. It was going to impact the resources of the guardian redeemer. And ultimately what the guardian redeemer would do would be to humble himself and take on the needs of another person. Who in scripture does that sound a lot like? Who humbled themselves and took on the needs of all of humanity? Jesus. It's why the book of Ruth is so significant. It is a beautiful foretelling about the Messiah who is going to come. And this is the role that Boaz was seeking to play in the life of Ruth. But ultimately, Boaz, there's, there's actually another family member of your father-in-law that is closer than I am. So I need to go check with him first. And if he is not willing to be the guardian redeemer, then I gladly will. My question to you is, how do you think that made Ruth feel? I think it made real Ruth feel so special and so cared for and so protected to know no matter what, no matter what, there's going to be people who come into my life that I can count on, that will be there for me, that I can engage in relationships with. Can the people in your life count on you to put them first? Can you count on the people in your life to put you first? Because see, from start to finish, the Bible screams this truth because Genesis to Revelation is this beautiful story of Jesus who put his needs second and said, I want you to go and do likewise. If our relationships aren't nourished with the things of Jesus, then there's going to be a ceiling that we hit and there will be a lack of fulfillment and there's going to be a lack of fully understanding what it means to be in godly relationships. It takes some risk to put another person above you because when you put another person above you, you're in essence saying no to some things. If I put you above me, then it might mean that you get a promotion and I don't. It might mean that you get more money and I don't. But what do I get in return? I get something in return that money can't ever buy. When you seek to put other people in front of you, you get something that is innumerable. You get something that can't be measured. It's a peace, and it's a joy, and it's a deep understanding of who God has called you to be. And if you continue on in the passage of Scripture, Ruth chapter 3 kind of leaves us hanging. It's a little bit of a cliffhanger. This isn't a sermon series on the book of Ruth, so you'll just have to read ahead. Spoiler alert, it turns out good, okay? So the story turns out really, really well, but ultimately what happens is Ruth enters into this season of waiting. And Boaz says, you need to stay here on 
the threshing floor until the next morning and then leave. But I'm also going to give you six measures of barley. Bring me the shawl. I'm going to give you these measures of barley so that you can go. And then you're going to take those back to Naomi. And then you're going to have to wait. You're going to have to wait to see what happens with this conversation with this other guardian redeemer. And maybe you can relate to that this morning. I think a lot of us can relate to that because we are in a season of waiting. Some of us are waiting for Mr. Wright. Some of us are waiting for Mrs. Wright. Some of us are waiting on clarity. We're waiting on peace. We're waiting on something to work out. We're waiting for some moment that something needs to be addressed. And I want you to hear this today because it comes straight out of the book of Ruth. Even in seasons of waiting, God does not leave you empty-handed. Friends, this is good news. Even in seasons of waiting, God does not leave you empty-handed. What did he provide for Ruth? In a season of waiting, Boaz lavished up on her food, provision, things that she could take back to Naomi. For Ruth, it was physical provision. For you, it might be something completely different. But I want you to hear this. He has not left you empty-handed. At a minimum, which is more than enough. At a minimum, which is so more than enough, he has promised you that he's never going to leave you. And he has promised you that he will always be with you. And he has promised you that he can be trusted. And he has promised you that he is enough for you no matter where you may be. He promises you that he's walking with you. He promises you that he's fighting for you. He promises you that all things in your life are going to work out for the good. So instead of rushing through the waiting... How about we sit in the waiting and allow him to work in and through us? Which is riskier, rushing ahead or waiting? Waiting is so much riskier. It's easy to rush ahead. It's easy to take matters into my own hands. Abraham and Sarah took matters into their own hands. They were pushing 100, and God had promised them they were going to have descendants. They took matters into their own hands, and as a result of them taking matters into their own hands, there was a conflict that started that is still being lived out in our world thousands of years later. What about Joseph? Joseph was falsely accused for something that he didn't do. Instead of taking matters into his own hands, he praised God in the midst of the waiting, and as a result of that, thousands of people's lives were saved because he was able to provide food for them in the midst of a famine. How about Ruth? Ruth took some initiative, and in doing so, God put her into a season of waiting where she had to stop and where she had to trust that God was going to meet all of those needs. Fast forward 30 plus generations and there's a baby that's born in a lowly stable. No fanfare, no gala, no regalia. And he was born and he lived a perfect sinless life. It's through the lineage of Ruth and Boaz that Jesus comes so is waiting riskier? Yes. Is waiting better? Always. I don't know where you are today, but I'm going to have you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment as we conclude our service today. Perhaps God is asking you to take some step. Perhaps you're in a season of waiting right now, and you're trying to hit fast forward, and God is wanting you to say, no, just stop, be still. Or maybe you're in a relationship that's not what it needs to be, and God is going to ask you today to have the courage to Take some difficult steps. Or maybe you're here and you just need to be reminded that he is more than enough for you 
that you have all that you will ever need in him and that he is fighting every battle and that he is providing peace and comfort in a way that only he can. So Lord, find us faithful in this moment. I pray that you would help us to draw our strength from you. Help us to realize that you are so good, that you love us more than we could ever ask or imagine and that you would be honored with our life. I pray for the relationships maybe in this room that are struggling, that you would provide us hope and accountability and peace. I pray for those that are in a season of waiting and they're trying to push fast forward, that you would help them to just simply be still and know that you are God. Thank you, God, for meeting us in this place. And it's in the powerful name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and ways you can connect. Thanks for listening. We're thankful for you.